Hello everyone and welcome to the Human to Hope podcast. Today we spoke to Head of Subject and Letterer in Early Childhood, Cleona Boyle. Cleona spoke to us about her route into early childhood through changing policy and supporting women, how early childhood is such a vibrant, changing and eclectic subject, and also the influence of science, specifically neuroscience, into early childhood. If this sounds like something you might be interested in, then keep listening. Hello everyone and welcome to the Human to Hope podcast. My name's Steve. I'm a student recruitment officer at the university. Hi guys, my name's Mia and I am a graduate advocate at Liverpool Hope University. And today we are joined by Cleona Boyle, um, who is the head of subject and lecturer in early childhood. So hello Cleona, nice to have you. Hiya. Just a sort of pre-warner for anyone who's listening, the early childhood was uh, the subject that I studied during my time at university. So more so than others, this might go off on a few tangents, um, as I'm sure it will for English language when we get there for Mia. Um, but yeah, we might we might jump into the conversation a little bit more and get a little bit more excitable than usual, well, certainly from my point of view. But I guess the, the best place to start with yourself, Cleona, is um, your story and your background. So what was it about early childhood that made you interested in it enough to be involved at this level? Has it always been something you've interested in or did the interest come a lot later in life? Yes, that's an interesting question, Steve. Um, it, it, it really emerged from my working life and experiences, to be honest. It, it emerged from the field because my academic background initially was actually in, in English literature. So um, uh, that was my first degree and then later in sociology and politics. But um, it did emerge, my interest in early childhood really did come from the field, um, probably from a range of working roles that I had done. I, I worked uh, initially in a fairly large women's centre supporting uh, about 500 women through education and childcare opportunities here in my native city. Uh, and I became very aware through that work that these were intelligent, interesting women who had so much to say uh, and so much to contribute. But in the main, they'd had a really difficult experience with schooling and I was also very aware of the impact of that with their children so I became very aware through that work that something needed to change and something needed to change earlier in childhood. From that then I went on to work in local government in uh, heading up a children's rights commission so I, I think out of out of that work my interest in children's rights was and in policy and advocacy was kind of galvanized um, and, and from there then uh, I, I worked in a large NGO, which is called Early Years, and I had the opportunity to work internationally, particularly in conflict-affected countries uh, uh, with children and, uh, and parents who had been impacted by war and conflict. So again, that had a resonance with my own background. So I suppose yeah. those kinds of working experiences really led to, so it was only subsequent to them really, to be honest, that I, I did a PhD and came into academia. So very much mm. from the field and from life. It's interesting though, because a lot of those things that you, um, you've mentioned there so sort of some of those subfields that brought you to early childhood were not things that I was interested in until I studied early childhood because obviously they all play a part so it's almost like my journey into early childhood was the opposite I was interested in working with children initially and then interest in those some of those fields came a little bit later on and yeah. so from your perspective why do you think early childhood is early childhood is an important subject to study and has this changed throughout time? Has this changed from when you were initially studying it or working with children to when you're teaching students now? Mm -hmm. And again that's that's another interesting one because 
early childhood has a certain kind of distinctiveness and that it's still a relatively new discipline or more correctly mm -hmm. a, a new interdiscipline if you like because early childhood really only came about as an academic discipline kind of in the, the mid to late 90s that, that university started having this offer so it's still relatively new uh, I, I think its distinctiveness also is that it is interdisciplinary as you say mm -hmm. everyone can kind of find their field of interest and curiosity both generally and specifically and I think that's one of the, the great things about it. I think early childhood is terrific if you have a general interest which as you say is how most people come to the subject with kind of a general interest but not maybe quite clear as to what parts of the subject will intrigue them most or, or where they will become specialists or indeed where they'll do their research um, so it's 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 terrific in that it is an interdisciplinary field and I suppose in terms of how the field has changed the field has certainly come to prominence certainly sort of I suppose in the, the noughties from about 2000 on or 2010 on the, the often talk about sort of the decade of the child uh, and mm. that kind of thing and especially I suppose newer developments in terms of from 2010 on particularly of course the area of kind of neuroscience and the area of evidence uh, there's been a real escalation in, in research in early childhood and, and that's very interesting so those are some of the ways that the subject changed so I think suffice to say it's a really vibrant subject a, a changing subject and an eclectic subject so uh, you know our, our students will find a whole range uh, of different interests as indeed do our, our, our staff team our team of academics yeah. yeah and I'm sure I'm sure that you'll agree that it's changed as well due to sort of events that happen throughout history that make us realize that what services or what needs to be in, pl in place for children so children haven't always had the rights that they've got and it's from unfortunately negative maybe events that trigger that and stuff like that and um so yeah it's I, I guess it's a from a historical point of view it's also how we view childhood and their role in society that also changes in the way that we view how we should study it and things like that as well so mm -hmm. i i hope our um all of our teaching staff are also active researchers do you mind just telling us a little bit about what your uh interests are in regards to research and what are you researching at the moment yes for sure um well my, one of my interests is, is, and perhaps also because I came from the field and because I've come from kind of a policy and advocacy background, I'm really interested in how research and science is translated into policy and practice. I'm, I'm interested in kind of critically engaging with that field. And indeed, I'm very wedded to the importance of engaging our students in that field of critically examining ideas from policy. So that's my field. So principally, um, for example, what one, one of the areas that I've published in is uh, how neuroscience is actually translated into policy and critiquing that. So, uh, and indeed how neuroscience can be misinterpreted and misread uh, mm. and, and oversimplified whenever it's translated. And I think that's really important, certainly from a policy background, because um, if you think about it, if policy is misinformed or has oversimplified research, then it can be misguided. So if mm. we, you know, for example, take a, a deficit idea of childhood and policy and say that children are neurologically impaired because of their social background. Well, that's not true. And science mm. doesn't say so. But it's really important that we critically reflect on that area. So I'm interested in how research is translated into practice. I'm really interested in how evidence-based, the whole idea of what constitutes evidence and how yeah. 
is evidence used politically. I'm, I'm interested in that as well. At the minute, the piece I'm working on at the minute is a critique of this idea of ACEs, of adverse childhood experiences, and how that has been translated in policy and practice. And again, unpacking some of the assumptions of that so that we don't end up with a, a deficit model of childhood and a deficit mm. model of, you know, that our children are doomed by early childhood adversity. And it, yeah. I, I guess it's about that paradox of vulnerability and resilience that we have in, in early childhood and the importance of getting that right of of understanding uh, and supporting a child's vulnerability and at the same time not underestimating their resilience as well so mm. I, I'm, I'm yeah. very interested in how science is translated and how research translates into policy um, mm. so if you like the political dimension of, of, of early childhood as you mentioned he obviously studied early childhood I did not so I'm like kind of a a, a bit of an outsider to this but it's already sounding like something that's really of interest um so for maybe other people who are a bit like me and who haven't maybe got quite the best idea of what early childhood is um what would you say are maybe some common myths around this subject and how do you kind of go about like debunking them and, and setting them straight for sure well that, that that's that's an interesting question there are many myths aren't there about early childhood and there, there are many kind of reductive ways of, of referring to early childhood which we as an academic discipline really challenge so some of the common myths around our subject is the fact that it's it's kind of easy or that it's nice so that many many students i'm sure you had this too, of people saying you know oh that, that must be nice so that must be easy uh, also, myths like that it's it's about liking to play with children, uh, or that thinking that children are kind of cute and lovely that that's a motivation. And I suppose think about your field, Mia. You know that we like you know studying literature because you like stories with a happy ending, or you like rhyming couplets. If you are in the if you have an interest in studying early childhood because you think children are cute then i think it's time to wake up then to the complexity of the young child and also to respect the complexity of a young child being in terms of understanding supporting uh, and advocating for a child's rights so those are some of the the popular myths um, in terms of the idea that early childhood is an easy subject, I like to think that it is a complex subject that we can make digestible, understand, understandable, that we can make real, uh, so that we can motivate people's curiosity about early childhood uh, and, and challenge some of those myths, which makes it really exciting, I think. Um, but yes, it is a really important question because it's, it's one of the, and I think some of our students get very insulted by those kinds of comments. Uh, and, and certainly what I would advocate to any student of early childhood to say, well, do you think it's, it's, in, it's easy to study psychology, sociology, philosophy, mm. history, education, because I'm, I'm, I'm studying all of these disciplines. Um, mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Like it has got all of these like like you said, eclectic kind of values that come from different subject areas. Um, and it's not something to be kind of like brushed off as, as an easy subject. Um, so I think that's a really good thing to kind of to set the tone of. It's a very important subject as well. We need articulate, engaged, curious academics. We need curious practitioners in the field. You know, uh, we need you know intelligent commentary and, and policy on young children so for all of those reasons yes challenging the, the easy bit is, is incredibly important mm. is there um like a particular piece of research or text or 
maybe even it could be like something that like a video that people watch or something to listen to that you would recommend somebody listens to or, or reads before they maybe embark on on studying this subject yeah well I, th I suppose what I could talk about is, is some of the things that influenced me as I kind of came through um, mm -hmm. engaging with the this, this subject um, if I could pick maybe amongst the great wealth of, of, of information in the field but three things that really influenced me were uh, Bob Hughes's work on the taxonomy of play so basically it, Bob Hughes's work and he, he is also uh, a former colleague and friend of mine um, so somebody who I have huge respect for and who influenced certainly my career at, at an early stage but his idea of the taxonomy of play is that there are at least 16 different types of play mm. um, that the young child experiences, for example, sociodramatic play, deep play, rough and tumble play, and that all of those have, have different purposes for the child and that there is an evolutionary aspect to that. So certainly anything by Bob Hughes, I think, is really interesting to read in terms of play types. Uh, play Scotland, I think, particularly have got, they've got some interesting resources online that include the, the, the different play types. So I think that's interesting, certainly as, a, as an introductory sort of way of thinking about the complexity of children's play and um, other things that influenced me Paul Connolly's work um, Too Young to Notice in 2002 I think really changed the field in that it's his work is about um, it's about how children understand difference uh, and it was very very interesting to me to read Too Young to Notice and subsequently Paul Connolly supervised my own PhD um, but that work showed that certainly it was it was done here in Northern Ireland and it showed that young children notice difference as early as three or four years of age so it's not the awareness of difference isn't something that comes about in late childhood or in adolescence it comes about very early on uh, and that uh, too young to notice showed that not only do young children notice difference but they're also capable by the by the age of six of acting negatively towards otherness so I think that that work is incredibly important thinking about and, and, and very, very current as well, thinking about just how young, young children notice difference and thinking about how as practitioners and academics that we can support children to be positive about difference, to be curious about difference, how we can answer their questions honestly rather than seeing difference as something to be avoided. Um, another book that I read quite recently is Diane Ray's work, which is incredibly important work and her her most recent book is called Miseducation and I would recommend that to anybody who's interested in social mobility or lack of she's a Cambridge academic from a working class background and she, what she really does is her work really challenges the myth of social mobility and again relating that to early childhood and thinking about just how soon those inequalities emerge so if you're interested certainly in play read about the difference and the taxonomy of play if you're interested in how children notice difference and some of the political issues of this day think about that and and also in terms of social mobility i would say miseducation would be a really good start I think as well, just to go back to the, the misconceptions of early childhood, there's the people probably don't realise how much is actually going on when children play. And even if you don't, if you're not sure what kind of play that they're doing, um, you don't realise how, how they're dealing with situations through play. And that's actually really interesting. But one of the um, things that really influenced me during my time on the course was originally in first year, when we'd looked at things like children's rights and stuff, Initially, I was really interested in um, 
whether children were actually aware that they had rights and stuff like that, and you know the sort of right and wrong of that. But then moving into the second year, as I realised, I was more interested in maybe early childhood and and within the realm of education because that's what I combined the subject with as well. Um, we watched a, a TED talk on um, Ken Robinson about schools um, killing um, or stifling children's creativity, which that sort of 12 minute video or however long it was, was actually the inspiration behind my whole dissertation and about the relationship between the national curriculum and creativity as well. So um, yeah, like there's, there's so much opportunity on the course to explore little, just little threads like that can really lead into a whole rabbit hole of things that you, you find interesting. Absolutely, that's, what, that's such an interesting area. And I think Ken Robinson's work is, is incredible, really inspiring, really challenging. Mm. And as you say, I think one of the ideas underneath that that's really interesting is that we tend to think, I think when, when students are first introduced to the idea of children's rights, tend to think that, you know, Article 12, the children's rights, children's voice is about, for example, children responding to consultation, children being engaged mm school and councils and of course children's rights they have children they have rights from birth uh, mm -hmm. so therefore we need to think about how a child expresses his or her voice in all sorts of ways through their whole body through their expression and how we as adults need to really tune in to for example children's play to find out about how they see the world uh, we yeah. need to tune into children's creativity and respect creativity um, in terms of the articulation of their voice and rights as well so yes you've touched on something really they're really interesting there and something where early childhood is again quite complex because engaging mm. young children's rights is actually a very nuanced area uh, and mm. quite different from engaging with 8 to 12 year olds or 12 to 18 year olds yeah definitely again i'm i'm intrigued i'm like wow okay um <laughs> the lesson, yeah. yeah so i mean um obviously i did english language and, and in that we did a bit about more like child psychology um but about like the whole um children learning language that kind of thing and and already there you can see how these subjects all a lot of subjects do um intertwine with one another um, and obviously early childhood i hope there's an option to study that with with other subjects as well um for example with um law accounting and finance so are there any really popular or really unusual combinations that you've seen people taking um, during your time here with us at Hope? It's a really nice question Mia because um, combined studies does offer the opportunity to dip you know one one foot in, in two very different pools so that that can, that can be really interesting to take and um, you know of course you can study early childhood as a single honours discipline or you can study it as combined so some popular combinations would be of course um early childhood with education which i think is what steve studied um, and also early childhood with special educational needs is also a very popular combination increasingly early childhood with subjects like criminology which is interesting so you know thinking about how early childhood relates to later life perhaps um more eclectic combinations let me think um early childhood and dance certainly we have a number of graduates this year doing early childhood and dance which is interesting and again have produced some interesting work in terms of straddling both of those fields um early childhood and business studies of as well so um for example you know students with an ambition to maybe set up their own business their own nursery and um, that would be an interesting combination um, 
any other ones yeah early childhood and social policy that's one I, I, I'd love more people to combine early childhood and social <laughs> policy. but I can't have all my wishes <laughs> yeah so yes really eclectic yes and of course um early childhood with English literature is is is, is something that wouldn't be the most popular but certainly something that that that, that people combine yeah so there really there really is a, a lot of options there so people people don't have to just confine themselves to one kind of path there are obviously lots of different opportunities um so this next question i I always say this it does tend to maybe catch people off guard a little bit they might have to think about it a little bit um but have you got a random fact or a fun fact about your area something that makes people be like oh wow like that's amazing well So like, wow, fun and random, that's a total order. Well, I think maybe one of the kind of facts, certainly, and, and well, coming from where I do on a fact, I always have to tell you the fact and then maybe unpick it a little bit. But for example, <laughs> one of the things that has kind of changed people's attitudes is, is neuroscience, which, which says that 80% of our brain growth takes place by age three and then 90% of our brain growth takes place by age five. So those kind of kind of arguments from neuroscience, of course, have fueled the interest in early childhood and certainly fueled uh, resourcing and research and funding. So when you think of that exponential brain growth that occurs in early childhood, that is fascinating and it is incredible and it, it means that early childhood is really important. But of course, uh, like any area of science, there's much more that we don't know than that we do know. So in areas about structural, functional neuroplasticity, there is much more that we don't know than that we do know. So we need to be, there's a little bit of caution that I would inject into that fun fact. Uh, I hope it doesn't ruin it for you. <laughs> that I would inject is to say well just be be aware be critically aware of how a fact like that can be used so Mm. if a fact like that is used to say children are in complex interesting early childhood is important but if a fact like that is used to say that therefore children who don't get a great start in life are absolutely doomed well that is not true and science does not say that so um plasticity continues through life windows of opportunity sensitive periods all of that so it's important to yes we're really switched on to some of the new exciting scientific ideas but also we need to be very careful as to how they're used and and misused Mm -hmm. that definitely sorry that i was gonna say that definitely made me say wow i was like (laughs) there was there was a fact that and i think it's changed since i i studied early childhood so you can fact check this for me uh, but um, with the United Nations Conventions for the Rights of the Child uh, at my time of studying every country had signed up to that bar two and one of which was the USA but I think they've since signed up to that am I right in, in that? Um, well the US interestingly Somalia and South Sudan um, mm. so uh, and all for quite different reasons uh, that there yeah. were issues in terms of signatures to the UN convention the US's argument I think and it is still such is that they already have robust enough human rights mechanisms mm. within the constitution they don't need a global convention uh, I'm sure there are many uh, including myself, we've challenged that. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem that the US or anywhere in the world has, has got it sorted in terms of really fulfilling the rights of the child. Um, uh, 
Somalia, South Sudan, different reasons in terms of stability of regimes at the time. Uh, and again, I suppose, uh, back to what, what I talked about earlier in terms of the impact of war and conflict on children, which is an incredibly important area of children's rights. So again, if there is um, instability in a country, then children's rights come under very immediate threat and, and young, young children in particular. Um, so that's why, for example, the convention was amended to include um, extra provision and a special rapporteur uh, on children in armed conflict in particular uh, yeah. and people like Ratsa Machel um, who contributed uh, to the strengthening of the convention around that. So all yeah. sorts of different reasons um, in terms of why um, the, the minority of countries didn't sign up but of course as well all of the countries that have signed up we need to continually be engaged in policy and advocacy to ensure mm. that those commitments are upheld and fulfilled and are actually enforceable as opposed to vague aspiration. Yeah well I think that's what makes it a somewhat interest, interesting fact is that when we first started to learn about the rights of the child and when they came into play and what they are I think the whole feeling across the lecture theatre was make sense that there's this united front on children's rights and then initially on the surface to hear that there was a number of countries who hadn't signed up to it you immediately sort of think well that's that's wrong they're wrong they you know they don't care about children and then you scratch beneath the surface and you start to realize that you know maybe it's not that black and white the you know one front is the best way and stuff like that and you know i'm in the same boat as you there my question uh, the united states sort of reasoning behind why they, they chose not to sign up. But then from a child in America's perspective, they might challenge the, the United Front that's there. So it, it is, it's really interesting. Our next section really um, focuses on those who were maybe thinking about making an application to Liverpool Hope University for, for this course in particular. And so from your perspective, what makes a successful student in the subjects in this subject? Do they have a particular attribute? Mm -hmm. An interesting question. What makes a successful student in <laughs> childhood? Many things, I think. Enthusiasm from the outset is important. <laughs> yeah. That will carry you through trying to sustain the, the enthusiasm. I think curiosity, uh, intellectual curiosity is important. Uh, being uh, prepared to open yourself to different ways of seeing is important. That openness yeah. to unpicking your assumptions about children in childhood. So curiosity, openness, and also the ability to critically reflect, including critically reflecting in practice. So being able to apply our academic <laughs> knowledge to what we see in the field, to what we see with the young child and, and, and interfacing with that, being a, a critically reflective practitioner um, mm. is important. So I would say probably curiosity, openness to different ways of seeing uh, and, and the ability to critically reflect makes but yes, you can't. You also can't inject enthusiasm. <laughs> if you're not enthusiastic, not committed, then it, it's not going to carry. Well, to, to be fair, that that last one that you mentioned there about the the sort of critical mind, I would argue that that was the one for me anyway. That was almost the hardest to come by because, you know, we, we are in a world where you're so used to sort of, you know, that's the legislation and that's how it is and that's how we follow it. So you, it becomes hard to challenge that and question like. Who, who made that legislation and what's their sort of motivation and stuff like that. And it went until, you know, coming to second year, third year, they really felt comfortable in that critical mindset because I think it's a product of your, your curiosity and your, and your openness. I think that's when that sort of challenge comes as well. And so with that in mind, I suppose, 
Mm-hmm. What advice would you give somebody who's preparing to study the, the, the subject? Maybe someone who's doing their A-levels or are coming um, to HOPE in September. What advice would you give them? Um, I think one of the most important things in terms of being curious is um, have have the courage to ask questions. Don't... Um, don't make your experience one where you stay silent with your questions uh, and worry about them or feel disempowered uh, because you also ask critical questions. Please do engage. Uh, step a little out of your comfort zone. We try to be, you know, create a really supportive environment, for example, in tutorials and seminars for people. But 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 I, th- I think a certain amount of that is also the onus on 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 the students in terms of be be prepared to step a little outside of your comfort zone be prepared to question some of your your assumptions but also be confident in your own intellectual curiosity as well um, so so challenge ideas don't accept what we say as orthodoxy because we have different takes on early childhood you have will have your own take so I think I think that's one of the most important things in terms of coming to hope is, is, is and, and I guess as well um, be be prepared to trouble your certainties about young children and critically examine your your ideas. So the idea that, for example, childhood is simply about a, a growth in ages and stages of development. Be prepared to look at that differently. Be prepared to think that children across the world have not had the same childhood as you mm. have experienced, and therefore we need to think about childhood socioculturally. So be be prepared be prepared to trouble your certainties about, about young children because in that troubling the certainties we'll find really, you know, exciting, uh, you know, ideas and exciting areas to explore. Definitely. And so when, when somebody uh, decides to come to Hope for the subject, what kind of experiences can they expect? So I know on the single honours course, there's um, a placement opportunity and I know for both combined and single, there are field trip opportunities as well. Yeah, I think um, one of the areas that we've really strengthened in the last number of years with the subject um, is that interaction with practice. So certainly somebody coming to hope for the the subject, whether they're studying the subject combined or single honours, and there is a a stronger emphasis, as you rightly say, in single honours on on placement. Um, Mm. And this year we will be offering a new option, which is called the Graduate Practitioner Competency, where actually there's 80 days of placement across the three years for single honours so it's a real strengthener in that field but but also for students who are taking combined honours there are a whole range of opportunities for example placement can certainly happen it's voluntary not mandatory but mm. most of our strong students would engage in placements we also do field, field trips for example to arts and cultural organisations like the Story Barn which is nearby and beautiful Calderstons Park um, we visit children's centres to look at early childhood and practice uh, as schools. We have particularly visited, for example, Forest School as well, which is a really interesting new model in terms of looking at how the Nordic model of Forest School is translated in the UK. So we visit Forest School. We go to places like Childwall Woods to look at you know, how Forest School can be implemented. Um, also museums, galleries. Um, we do an interesting thing actually in our final year also, which is that students go out to two 
different and contrasting neighbourhoods in Toxteth and in Childwall where the university is and then they think about social policy in that way so we think about how does social policy impact differently in those two neighbourhoods and what might the life of the child be like in two adjacent but quite contrasting neighbourhoods so we, we really do try to put the theory into practice but of course you can't do that well unless you've got that bedrock of your interdisciplinary theoretical and academic um, work uh, done that you have you know learned how to support your arguments with robust research and um, so it, it absolutely has to be based on um, the bedrock of um, academic theory and then the interaction with with practice and seeing how that it works in the field so it's 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 an interesting combination and certainly we're really strengthening the connections to the field and connections to practice yeah definitely and so with with that in mind with those experiences that students can have on the course once they've graduated where can where can a degree in early childhood take them is there any sort of traditional or non-traditional routes that people have taken recently well a whole range of of different options and i think that's one of the strengths of uh, an interdisciplinary subject um is that there are a range of different possibilities that certainly the people take and have taken I would have to say that, of course, a very popular route is that people go into a PGCE. So people who want to teach, uh, mm -hmm. which is a, 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 a strong enough uh, body within our, our student uh, community um, would go on to take a PGCE. Uh, and I think the thing that is is maybe a real advantage there too is that they will go into PGC with a really good grounding in child development with a really good understanding of social policy so come in with all of that understanding then to become you know professional teachers so that's a popular route but if, uh, it's by no means the only route um, we've had students go into other postgraduate options so for example doing masters in child development developmental psychology interdisciplinary masters uh, um, you know going into other fields like social work but but you know through the postgraduate route um, but also like for example recently I have met graduates in uh, arts and cultural centres like the Story Barn um, uh, NGOs like the NSPCC uh, the local authority in Liverpool uh, one of our uh, PGT postgraduates um, has uh, set up her own forest school business, which is wonderful. So um, she actually did a master's um, uh, with us and uh, she, she now she hosts students also within that program. So a whole range of, of interesting possibilities and opportunities uh, mm. that students have. And I like to think that those are developing all the time. Um, yeah. so, so certainly, you know, teaching is an important route. It's by no means the only route you know students have gone into and I suppose that also reflects the interests you know you know yeah. for somebody like me I was always going to go into something around policy and advocacy and um, uh, somebody else might be interested in the kind of psychology element or I suppose yeah. other important areas I should have mentioned maybe are things like play therapy as well yeah yeah definitely well there's yeah. definitely a, a wide range of, of routes to go down which is great to hear um, so as we start to, to wrap up this conversation, which has been very, very exciting, very interesting. Um, if you were maybe speaking to somebody who'd not yet been to um, Hope Park campus, where would you say this is a really nice place to go on our campus? Where's your favorite place to spend your time? Goodness, that, that's a difficult question <laughs> because principally because Hope Park, as you know, is an absolutely 
beautiful campus. It is an exceptionally beautiful campus and I have no problem saying that. And it's also wonderful because it is a beautiful suburban campus, but on the, you know, the outskirts of a really exciting city. So you really have the best of both worlds. So it's hard to choose, but in terms of mm, my favorite place, uh, two places then, it's a bit like Desert Island. <laughs> oh, two places. Um, two places I really like, they're contrasting maybe, are, uh, I'll start with the more nerdy one first. <laughs> I really like the Nugent Archive in the library. Uh, I think we are really lucky and hope and that we have a wonderful li library and a wonderful team of staff in the library who are so welcoming and so inviting. Uh, and the fact that we have an archive right there in the library. So in terms of early childhood, I'm really interested in the Nugent Archive because it chronicles some very important historical experiences and I would, it would be great if one day somebody did a PhD on, on the Nugent Archive because it looks at for example um, the experiences of young children in care um, you know from the, the turn of the century on and there's some really interesting artifacts there um, so that's and we take our third year students there to explore the archives so I really like that um, but just in case you think I'm a complete nerd, that's, that's <laughs> in the archive the whole time, or in the library the whole time, far from it, and I didn't as a student either. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to walk the talk, um, which is uh, the, 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 the campus is, is lovely. I like the little wild kind of woodland area down kind of by the sports hall where it's quite wild. I do like the lovely new woodland walk, but I really do like the, you know, I've, I've a penchant for a little bit of wildness, so I do like that woodland area, and I think think you know in terms of teaching subjects like education for sustainable development you know those kind of things the child in nature you could not be in a better place and, and on a more beautiful campus yeah I, I second that absolutely so what would you now say are the top three reasons that somebody should study early childhood with us at Liverpool Hope University well I think that First and foremost, I would have to say the quality of our interdisciplinary program and subject, I think, is, is fabulous. And I think not only do we have a coherent interdisciplinary subject with academics who are specialists in their field and who are researchers in their different fields, but we also have an international team in early childhood, for example, colleagues from Greece, colleagues from Turkey. Um, so we have uh, different perspectives also on childhood, socioculturally within our team. So I think that's a really good reason. Um, I think also uh, the campus itself lends itself beautifully to articulating that vision of early childhood, which is around thinking about new issues like, you know, education for sustainable development and young children, but also old issues, which is how important the natural environment is to children without losing sight of our modern technological world as well. So I think the campus itself makes it a wonderful place to study. Also that we have, as I say, arts and cultural venues, incredible venues right on our doorstep that we make great use of in terms of the cultural output of Liverpool. Um, and then the last thing I would say is that I think we are very true in this university 
assembly and in our subject to the value base of knowing our students one by one. We certainly do know our students one by one. We respect our students as individuals. Um, I hope that, that, that that's both of your feeling in terms of being, and I, you know, I, I don't think that's a false claim in any shape, form or fashion. And, and, and partly that, that, you know, that sense of community, uh, the smallness of the university allows that to happen, but it's not just about smallness. It, it's about realizing that the relational development uh, uh, you know is, is is really important so yeah, yeah our interdisciplinary subject our international team uh then you know the campus itself the beauty of that great place to study and the fact that we really care about our people and we know our students one by one 100 percent. I, I can second all of those <laughs> from <laughs> first-hand experience <laughs> yeah you can really really vouch for that can't you Steve? <laughs> Definitely. Um, so finally, last but not least, um, to I guess draw this whole conversation to a close, what do you think makes a human of hope? Goodness, again, <laughs> yeah. so many things. But I guess I, you know, I can't. I'll choose. I'll try and choose one. Focus on one aspect. I, I think what makes a human of hope. And it is partly reflective of the whole history of, of hope as an ecumenical institution, as the coming together of different traditions. And I suppose that really resonates with me coming from the north of Ireland, that, that aspect of hope really resonates with me, the fact of the university's ecumenical foundation. But kind of, kind of beneath and beyond that, I think what makes a human of hope is someone who has got a sense of community within mm. diversity. Um, that there is a sense of respect for difference, the respect for the articulation of different perspectives, different worldviews, but that within that there is a sense of connection and community. And it's one of those intangibles. It's hard to put your finger on as to exactly why that happens. But for me, a human of hope is someone who uh, has a sense of community within a respect for diversity as well uh, and, and is brave about that. That was a really nice, a nice way to put that. That was a really lovely. <laughs> um, well, that brings us to the end. But thank you. This has been amazing. It's been really interesting for me, I guess, as a bit of a, like I said, a bit of an outsider to hear yourself yeah. and Steve talking about early childhood and everything that encompasses it as a subject. Um, so a massive thank you for speaking to us and taking the time to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm tried my best to restrain. I'm sure this this episode could have gone on for a lot longer if I asked all the follow-on questions that I wanted to ask, uh, or the comments that I wanted to make. Um, but no, it's been really interesting, and I think um, our listeners are going to benefit from listening to this to know more about the discipline, but also more about the university. So thank you so much for giving up your time to speak to us. Thanks to both of you. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and hopefully other conversations to come. So thanks. It's been a lovely way to spend an hour. <laughs> <laughs>